Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we gather today, and, and we gather every Lord's Day, because we want to be with each other as your family, and because we want to be with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we invite you to continue to be present with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So last week um, at the retreat and here at um, Ben Franklin, um, we launched our, our new sermon series on the Jesus story. Hojin preached here and I, um, I preached in, um, at the retreat. And um, we've been kind of mentioning this to you. The reason that we're focusing on this series for the next seven more weeks is we want to anchor our own lives in the story of Jesus and we want to be a church that when people come through our doors, they're going to hear us talking about Jesus. So we began the series last week looking at John chapter 1. Um, those of you who weren't here, we looked at John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we went on to look at verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. And so... Um, so Hojin found a um, pretty neat quote, which I'm going to read to you in a minute. But, um, but throughout the Christian centuries, faithful followers of Jesus have just tried to, to marvel at the incarnation. And so um, this first quote, we're going to throw it up here, is um, I think it's J.I. Packer. J.I. Packer, a theologian, um, wrote, God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless baby. Unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises. Needing to be fed and changed and talk, taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. And as I said, um, J.I. Packer is, um, is a contemporary of ours. But, um, but this next quote is Augustine, um, writing hundreds of years before. And it's part of a longer quote that I condensed down. Augustine writes, And now, with what words shall we praise the love of God? He so loves us. That for our sakes, he cried like a baby in the manger in speechless infancy. See, O oh man, what God has become for you. You, though you are only a man, wished to be God, and you were lost. He, though he was God, wished to be a man that he might find what had been lost. Human pride pressed you down so that divine humility alone could lift you up. The incarnation is a phenomenal, phenomenal story. This is how the Jesus story begins. And then Hojin, he read this quote to you here last week, so you're going to be familiar with it. This is such a, an incredible quote that I wanted you to hear it again. And um, for those who are at the retreat, I wanted you to hear it for the first time. Um, this is um, Frederick Beekner, And he writes, Those who believe in God can in a way never 
can, in a way, never be sure of him again. Once they have seen him, once they've seen God in a stable, they will never be sure of where he will appear or to what length he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of man. If the holiness and the awful power and majesty of God were present in this least auspicious of all events, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness can be present there too. And this means that we are never safe, that there is no place where we can hide from God, no place where we are safe from his power to break into and recreate the human heart because it is just where he seems most helpless that he is most strong and just where we least expect him that he comes most fully. Welcome to the introduction of the Jesus story. And this is what we're going to explore over the next eight weeks together. Um, Across the ages, Christians have reflected deeply on the incarnation, but that just opens the door for us to reflect on the life of Jesus, this one who is the exact representation of God. No one has seen God, but Jesus has made made him known to us, full of glory, full of grace, and um, and full of truth. So this week, I was praying about the sermon. And um, just kind of reflecting and saying, okay, Lord, how do you want me to... I kind of had the, in my head the sermon that I was going to preach, but I was asking God what he wanted me to do after I already decided. And, um, and I just sensed him. He, he impressed something on me that it, it's one of those times when, when you get an impression that you can't ignore it. I just couldn't shake it off. And so I wrote down what I sensed from the Lord. I sensed him say, Bill... I don't want Cornerstone to just think about me during the Jesus story. I want Cornerstone to experience me during the Jesus story. Which pretty much blew to heck the sermon I thought I was going to preach. Okay, But it's one of those things that, that, I mean, there are times when you have impressions from the Lord and you just grab a pen and you write and he comes up with something like this. So then I had to step back and say, okay, what's that mean for how we approach these next um, seven weeks together. And, um, and almost immediately, two thoughts kind of um, crashed into my, my mind. First, that God will never leave us and never forsake us. And second, that Jesus will always be with us. So I looked them both up. First one is from Hebrews 13. Second one is from Matthew 28. And I started to reflect for this morning on what it is to practice the presence of Jesus that we might not just talk about him together, we will do that, but that we go beyond that and we experience him together. So, um, to set this up, you ever had a friendship that is such a good friendship that after the person leaves, you still think about that person fairly often? Kind of a friendship that you pray for that person even though you might not have seen him for a year, but you still are ongoing and praying for him or her. If you're married, hopefully that's your spouse. Here's one of the things, you know, for those of you who aren't married, a little secret here. You practice the presence of your spouse for the rest of your life. Even when you're really angry at each other, 
you're still thinking of each other, right? So, so marriage is designed that we might have such a, a friendship that when we're not together, we're still thinking of one another um, and, um, and as often as we can, talking with one another. But it's not just marriage. Um, when you have children, you're going to figure out that from the first time you hold them, and actually, you know, some of you I know, if, you, if you're like me, and I think some of you are, um, long before I got married, I started praying for my kids. Um, that's because my first year in, in college, a guy said to me, he says, well, have you started praying for your children yet? And I said, I don't even know how I'm married. What are you talking about? And he says, you should be praying for your children right now. And I thought, all right, I didn't do that. So I actually started praying for my kids. So like the next week he says to me, so are you praying for your children? Yes, I'm praying for my children. Are you praying for the children that are going to marry your children? And I'm like, what? And he says, they're going to be around at the same time your kids are, so it's time to start praying. So, um, so even before your kids are born, and then, you know, during the time where, you know, one of you is pregnant um, in the relationship, to when you hold your child the very first day, first time, from that moment on, you will be practicing the presence of that child for the rest of your life. I used to think when I was a kid that, you know, when we grew up, moved out of the house, mom and dad didn't, didn't keep thinking about us, right? Now that I've had kids, I realize that you grow up and you move out, and they think about you a whole lot more than they ever did before. I pray for my kids more than I have my entire life. Um, but it's not just family, um, but there are other friendships too. And so, you know, Steve's here, and, um, and we're brothers, and blessed by God to have a gift, of, have the gift of spiritual friendship. So this little brat shows up on the doorstep. You know, I'm a year and a half old. He comes invading our life. We slept in the same bedroom up until through high school, and we fought with each other, and we lived with each other, and, and there's not anything that, that either of us would not do to take care of the other one. If one of us calls the other and says, I need you here, then the... the the question isn't, I don't know whether I can make it. The question is, how fast can I get there? That's the kind of friendship where, where you actually practice. It's a gift that you practice the friendship even when they're not there. So Paul's back here again. Um, and I told you last time that I met him in my first day in seventh grade. Okay? I think I figured out I was 12, which means you were older than me. So, um, so you were like 18 or something in seventh grade, whatever that was. Um, I figured out that I was 12 years old. From, from 12 years old... Um, we went through junior high, high school, college, and we went through seminary together. There was one point where we hadn't seen each other for 20 years. And his wife calls me up and says, I'm planning a surprise birthday party for Paul for his 50th birthday. Can you come? And I'd been praying for the guy my whole life anyway. I didn't see him for 20 years, but I'd never stopped praying for him. So we show up, and I, you know, I walk through the door. It's like not a day had passed. And we just started talking with one another. I pray that you, you've had some of those friendships. And, and I can, can you know, give you name after name of people that I've had such a friendship, I've learned how to practice their presence. And even though I don't see them and haven't seen them for quite some time, I still pray for them. That's the glory of the gift of friendship. And I'd like to talk with you this morning about how you can experience that kind of friendship with Jesus as well where you can have a friendship with him that is, is, is so much captured you that you think of him regularly through the day and that you stop through the day to talk with him regularly. So I want to talk with you this morning about the promise of his presence. I want to talk about the practice of his presence and the peace of his presence. And then, 
because I can't blow off what God said to me on Thursday. I want to lead you in a guided devotional this morning where we'll actually, for five to seven minutes, experience the presence of the Lord. So Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, is where God says, it's a quote from the Old Testament, um, where God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that the Greek word never, which is actually a translation of a Hebrew word um, in the quote, um, it's, a, it's a very interesting word with just a very interesting semantic domain. Um, and, and after a lot of, you know, a lot of research, um, here's what the word never means in that text. And there's no question about it. It has been researched to death. It is unequivocal. It is absolutely clear. The word never, when Jesus says, I will never leave you and never forsake you, you know what that means? Never. When God says never, he means absolutely never. So there is never a time when you will ever have to wonder for the rest of your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, never a time where you have to wonder, might God not be with me? God promises that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Even when you're not thinking of him, he is thinking of you. There is absolutely, there's not a breath that you can take where God is not present with you. There's not a step that you can take where God is not present with you. So when God says never, he means unequivocally and exactly never. And then in Matthew 28... Jesus says to his followers, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Another interesting word, the word always. Interesting semantic domain. You know what it means absolutely unequivocally? There's no doubt about what always means in that text. It means always. When Jesus says, I will always be with you, he means that there is... It's not just when you're in church. It's not just when you're praying or doing your devotions. It's not just when you're being good. There is nothing, there is no minute part of any second of your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, where Jesus will not be present with you. When Jesus says, I will always be with you, the promise is that he will always be with you. And so the promise of the presence is that when God says never, he means never. And when Jesus says always, he means always. So here's the question. What part of never don't we understand? What part of always don't we get? This is an absolute promise from God. And if I can make a suggestion, it's not just a biblical doctrine that God is always there, that Jesus is always present. This is a spiritual lifeline for the rest of your life. Not just something to think about, but something to experience and know. And when you feel a distance that God is not there, know that his promise is absolutely, unequivocally, always true that he will always, always be with you no matter what. But it doesn't matter if we know the doctrine or the truth of the promise of his presence if we don't know how to practice that presence. I've had people over the years say to me, I don't know how to practice the presence of Jesus. And my question to them is, do you know how to worry? And so, raise your hand. How many of you know how to worry? Any of you? Okay. If you know how to worry, you know how to abide. All that worrying is, is you're going through your life, and while you're going through your life, in the back of your mind, something else is going on, right? 
Something else is occupying your thoughts. That's what worry is. If you know how to worry, it's the exact same mechanism. As you're going through your life, in the back of your mind, you are aware of Jesus' presence, trying to be aware as much as you can, moment by moment. Jesus talks about it in John 15, and he uses the word abide. He says, remain in me, and I will remain in you. And then he goes on to say, if you remain in me, then you will produce much fruit. This is practicing the presence of Jesus. And I love when he gets to verse 13 in John 15, after he's talked about this abiding, because then he connects abiding with friendship. And he says to his disciples, you are my friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, hear these words from Jesus to you. Instead, I call you friend for everything I learned from the Father I've revealed to you. Abiding with Jesus is just an experience of the glory of spiritual friendship with Jesus. So how do we practice the presence of Jesus? Christians have have written and reflected on this across the Christian centuries. Um, And there's so much more than I can possibly share with you. But um, in the 17th century, uh, a monk by the name of Brother Lawrence wrote, um, wrote about his desire to intentionally nurture a more constant awareness of the presence of Jesus. And, um, and not just when he's reading the Bible, but he said um, also when he's doing the dishes. Not just when he's worshiping in the chapel, but also when he's cleaning the floors. And not just when he's singing hymns, but also when he's planting in the fields. And his little book, it's a little tiny book, is still worth reading. Um, Brother Lawrence, The Practice of the presence of God, still worth your reading. Thomas Akempis in The Imitation of Christ talks about how do we nurture a more constant awareness of the presence of Jesus with us. Some of you have read through Oswald Chambers' book, My Utmost for His Highest. Same thing that Chambers is trying to do. Same thing that A.W. Tozer is doing in his book, The Knowledge of God. Uh, more contemporary writers, um, some of you may be familiar with Henry Blackaby. He just calls it experiencing God. So throughout the centuries, we tried to figure out how do we do this better and better. Well, there's a missionary that went to the Philippines in 1915. His name is Frank Laubach, and he actually wrote, a, wrote journal entries of how he was doing in learning to practice the presence of Jesus. And I want to read to you um, some of his entries. These I mean, There's like eight brief entries here between January 3rd, 1930 and April 22nd, 1930. And these are just excerpts from his spiritual journal. Listen to him as he's learning. January 3rd, 1930. I resolved that I would succeed better this year than last with my experiment of filling every minute full of the thought of God. And he actually meant every minute, okay? January 20th, 1930. Two years ago, he says, a profound dissatisfaction led me to begin trying to line up my actions with the will of God about every 15 minutes or every half hour. But this year, I've started trying to live all my waking moments in conscious listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, what father do you desire said? What father do you want done in this minute? January 29, he says, I feel simply carried along each hour, doing my part in a plan which is far beyond myself. 
this sense of cooperation with God in the little things is what astonishes me. My part is to live in this hour in continuous inner conversation with God in perfect responsiveness to his will. March 1. It is an act of the will. I compel my mind to be open to God. I wait and listen with determined sensitiveness. I fix my attention there. I determine not to get out of bed until that mindset, that concentration upon God is settled. It also requires determination to keep it there. After a while, perhaps it will become a habit and the sense of effort will grow less. But why do I harp on this inner experience? Because I feel convinced that for me and for you who read this, there lies ahead, I like this, undiscovered continents of spiritual living compared to which we are now infants in arms. March 15, every waking moment of the week, I have been looking toward him with perhaps the exception of an hour or two. How infinitely richer this direct, first-hand grasp of God himself is than the old method, which I used to use and recommended for years, the endless reading of devotional books. Almost, it seems to me now, that the very Bible cannot be read as a substitute for meeting God soul-to-soul and face-to-face. Three more. March 23rd. We can keep two things in our mind at once. That's what I just told you about worrying, right? We can keep two things in our mind at once. Can I bring God back in my mind flow every few seconds so that God will always be on my mind? I choose to make the rest of my life an experiment in answering this question. Can a working man successfully attain this continuous surrender to God? Can a man working at a machine pray for people all day long and at the same time do his task efficiently? Can a mother wash dishes, care for the babies, and continuously talk to God? Indeed, any hour of any day can be made perfect if one looks to God that entire hour, waiting for his leadership all through the hour and trying hard to do every tiny thing exactly as God wished it done. April 19th, if this record of a soul struggle to find God is to be complete, it must not omit the story of difficulty and failure. I've not succeeded very well so far. This week, for example, has not, I like this, this week, for example, has not been one of the finest in my life. Anybody had weeks like that? (laughs) I like his honesty. But I resolve not to give up the effort. Yet strain does not seem to do good. At this moment, I feel something let go inside of me, and behold, God is here. Last one, April 26, 1930. He writes this thing, the last excerpt, because his journals go on. He says, this thing of keeping in constant touch with God, making him the object of my thought and the companion of my conversations, is the most amazing thing I ever ran across. It's working. I cannot do it even half a day, not yet, but I believe I shall be doing it someday for the entire day. It is a matter of acquiring a new habit of thought. Now I like God's presence so much that when for a half hour or so he slips out of mind, as he does many times a day, I feel as though I had deserted him, as though I had lost something very precious to my life. 
all Frank Laubach is trying to do is live out John chapter 15, where Jesus says, abide, remain in me, and I will be in you. Practicing the presence of Christ. Um, Lest you think that this guy was, you know, so heavenly minded, he was no earthly good. Frank Laubach, um, in his 20, um, more than two decades in Mindanao in the Philippines, he is credited through his efforts for teaching half of the population of Mindanao how to read and write. One guy, 45,000 people became literate because of his efforts um, there on the mission field. And here's the thing. This is the life that Jesus modeled for us. This is how Jesus sought to be, no matter what he was doing, aware and alert and present to God his Father. And here's the amazing thing. When we endeavor to abide like this, we're going to find that Jesus will be there beside us, helping us to be conscious of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit every moment. And here's something else that you will find. As you, and this, like every spiritual exercise, okay, it takes practice to get, I mean, this is not something that you can, by next Friday, okay, I got abiding down. This is for the rest of your life, learning how to, to be aware of the presence of Jesus moment by moment. What will happen, though, is that as you do this more consciously, and then as you get to the point where you do it, even though you're not conscious that you are doing it, you are going to be available to people as Jesus. Because when you are abiding with him, he will be working through you. And people will be touched with the grace and the truth and the mercy of Jesus himself through you. All right. The promise of his presence, the practice of his presence. Let me talk to you for just very briefly before we have our, our devotional. Um, let me talk to you about the peace of his presence. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. And so I saw an example of this um, a good number of years ago now um, when my mother passed away. Um, the doctors had done everything that they could do, and they said, you might as well go home because anything else we do, we're just going to be prolonging your death. We're not going to be prolonging your life. So my mom went home from the hospital to, to die. And, um, and so I was there that weekend with her when, um, when she went home. And, and she was kind of in and out of consciousness. And that, that Monday, um, she kind of woke up and looked at me, and I happened to be there. And I was scared for her because my mom had a pretty hard life and had lots and lots of fears in her life. And, um, and so I wanted to check in with her. And I said, Mom, are you ready to go? And, and she looked me in the eye, and she was completely alert. And she said with a calm that I seldom saw in my mother, she said, I'm ready to go see Jesus, and I want to go see your dad again. And five days later, she, um, she passed away. And this is what I wrote in my journal. Um, when I got word that she had um, died, I wrote, In his grace, God took my mom home tonight. She is now free of the pain. She is reunited with my dad. She is physically restored. And I wrote this way back then. And she is practicing the presence of Christ in a whole new way. Here's the thing. As we learn to practice the presence of Christ in this life, 
moment by moment, this is something that you can take to your dying breath. And you know what? You can take it after that as well. So the psalmist said, I don't fear any evil. Even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are there. You do not want to die without an awareness of Jesus present with you. You don't want to do that, I promise. But here's something else that you don't really want. You don't want to live without an awareness of his presence as well. Uh, Just a couple of scriptures to bless you as you go. May Christ dwell in your hearts richly. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.